Welcome to the Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. On this show, we focus on how the real estate industry, the world's single largest emitter of greenhouse gases, can leverage climate tech to become part of the sustainability solution. I'm your host, Greg Smithies. I'm a partner on the climate tech team at Fifth Wall, the largest and most active venture investor in technology for the real estate industry. In this podcast, we'll be joined by people on the front lines, the people inventing, investing in, and deploying the climate tech we'll need to make our homes, offices, and communities more efficient, more sustainable, and ever closer to carbon zero. Hi, everybody, and uh, welcome to another episode of Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech. Um, it's one of Fifth Wall's podcasts where we talk to people on the front lines of decarbonizing the real estate industry and the world at large. And uh, today we have the fantastic opportunity to talk to uh, Jim Mann, who is the uh, founder of Future Forest Company, um, and he's off in Scotland. So it's bright and early on this side and uh, later on in the afternoon over there. So Jim, thanks very much for, for taking the time today. Thanks for having me on, Greg. It's great to be here. So um, I... I our listeners will generally know I'm very interested in finding out how people got to where it is that they are, and uh, you know, starting a company that is planting trees in um, in Scotland is a little bit strange. Um, so, how did you get here to to founding this company? Yeah, a bit of a, a convoluted story, I guess. So, um, going way back, I did a degree in ecology, but um, to pay my way through university, I set up my first business, and then drifted onto a business track instead of a, an ecology track. And um, over, over the next, what, 15, 20 years, I've been watching as climate change that I've been very aware of has got worse and worse and um, seen a lack of action in, in not just governments, but across the private sector as well. And um, about five years ago, I had a business that was paying me a really good wage without going to work and the opportunity to work on something that I really wanted to. So it was always going to be climate change and I just needed to figure out um, how how I fitted into that and with the ecology back, background it made sense to start out trying to um, get some reforestation done to, to draw down some carbon but but then we've gone a bit off track since then so <laughs> I can talk you through that. Yep, yep, absolutely. And I, I'm actually very heartened because your your story is somewhat similar to something that I'm that I'm hearing a lot, which is maybe over the last 10, 15 years, people got sidetracked by, you know, going and quote unquote going into business and all of that stuff. But what's really happened over the last few years is all of a sudden the business of climate change has actually become a real business. And um so it's really starting to draw people back onto onto the side of the good and people are seeing this as actually a very viable career opportunity. So Always, uh, always heartened to to hear people who have gone on a similar track to you. Um, but, uh, but then uh, let's maybe jump into what it is exactly that's the problem that really drew you to this. So, what is the real problem that um, you saw that warranted you quitting that that uh, that paycheck and uh, starting a company? So, the big problem is that we're just putting too much carbon into the atmosphere. You know, it's a, it's as simple as that, and I think most people are aware aware of that now. But we've shown an inability to actually tackle that, whether that's reducing our carbon emissions or actually removing the carbon that's already there and, and accumulating. So um, from, from my perspective, it's, we're getting towards potential tipping points where um, we won't be able to, to tackle this. And 
we, we need to take some action. And I think that that action needs to come from the private sector. I, I think governments are struggling to deal with this problem. So if we can find ways in the private sector to, to do this and, and to, to do it profitably, then, then that's what's going to actually solve this, this problem. Yeah, and I think you really touched on, on that uh, specific part of the problem. So everybody agrees, right, we're putting, a, we're putting too much CO2 into the atmosphere. Um, and there's two ways to really control this, right? It's one is decrease how much you put in, and the other is you need some ways to suck, suck that CO2 out of the atmosphere and, and the other greenhouse gas as well. And the number one issue, I think, is that it's very difficult to do that profitably. Um, and I think uh, we had folks like Stripe who have been going out and buying carbon offsets from a number of people, and we saw prices per ton that just don't make much business sense for the people doing it and don't make much business sense um, for the people wanting to buy it. You know, we've got, got companies that are doing it in the sort of $700 per ton range, which is... Uh, that's kind of nosebleed seats, right? So um, is, am I correct in saying that really actually, whilst we completely agree on the CO2 side of the problem, that we're putting too much into the atmosphere and we aren't taking out, uh, out enough, that the real problem that you're trying to target is how do we get that cost of sucking the CO2 out of the air down? Yes, yes. And, and we should just touch on the, the um, reducing what we're putting there versus removing. So there's two sides to that as well. And the easy wins are on reducing what we're putting there, but that won't be enough. So we, we're going to have to, at some point, start actually removing CO2 from the atmosphere. And we're working on those technologies today, but trying to find ways that, that are really cost-effective and permanent, because that's the other issue. Some of the reforestation schemes have been marred with um, all, all, all kinds of problems um, where... Um, the carbon credits aren't really worth what they're claiming to be. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's maybe maybe a, a separate side topic on um, on the question of whether or not offsetting actually is effective. Um, so maybe touch on touch on that a little bit. To the extent that businesses today can buy offsets, not all offsets are equal, right? Um, so maybe just to describe through here the the spectrum of quality of offsets. Sure, and, and we prefer not to talk about offsets in our business, but to talk about carbon removal credits, um, albeit that we still talk about tons of CO2. A, an offset is, it, it can, can be viewed as um, a, a license to do bad. <laughs> so in some cases, you've got industries where people choose to buy offsets and continue to behave in, in a way that isn't good for the environment. We really need to be changing that behavior, and we need businesses to now take responsibility for for their actions and for the pollution that they're putting out into the atmosphere. That should come first of all, and the easiest wins are by reducing their emissions, so changing their processes and trying not to put as much CO2 out there. There will inevitably, in some industries are more prone to this than others, be emissions that you just simply can't remove, where um, you, you have a, 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 a remote site that needs a fuel source, for example, to run a generator would be would be one example. So fossil fuel, liquid fuels, which generally is fossil fuels, would be your default. If you can't eliminate that, then what we need to do is remove that CO2 somewhere else if we're to get to a point where we're not increasing the concentration of CO2 and therefore um, changing our climate. Yep. 
Yeah. And, and I think it's also just a massive uh, opportunity and a massive hill to climb, right? Because on, on average, right, uh, this, this changes year to year and hopefully it's going down, but we put about 50 gigatons of CO2 into, into the air every single year as a, as a planet, right? Um, and probably I, I think the math here tells us that with existing technologies, we can get rid of about half of that, right? So there's still 25 gigatons of CO2 that we need to figure out how every single year that we need to figure out how to suck out of the air and sort of back of the envelope math, even at something just sort of $50 a ton, uh, a cost of sequestering that that's a two and a half trillion dollar market right there. That's, that's monstrous. And that's at 50 bucks a a ton. uh, Most people are are far above that. Right. Um, So I think very clearly a large opportunity for whoever figures out how to solve this. Right. There is. There's a there's a very large opportunity, and um, even taking your your quick numbers there, that's just to when we get to the point of balancing things, of it of holding it where it is. In actual fact, if we want to remove reduce to pre where we are today, which might well be necessary, then we're going to need to remove more than that. So the opportunity might be way bigger than 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 those numbers suggest. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, we, we kind of need to rewind the clock a little bit. Yeah, either way, it, yes, it's a big opportunity. What, what's a few trillion between friends, right? Exactly, yes. <laughs> and $50 a ton is probably cheap because um, it's difficult to see how carbon removal tech can actually get down to $50 a ton. We think it's more likely to settle just north of $100 a ton. Yeah, yeah, and and also just because this is, this is now public, um, you know, Stripe uh, as in as in credit card processing, Stripe the company went out and uh, and bought on the open market a whole bunch of very high quality sequestration uh, solutions from a number of people, and then open sourced all of the all of the prices and things uh, in the interest of really helping this market get along. And and we're seeing prices there from um, you know you guys, and, and we'll get into what you actually do, are at the lower end of the spectrum here at about $200 per ton. And then you've got other folks uh, all the way up to $2,000 per ton uh, to actually do it. So I think maybe that that's a good um, a good segue into, so what is it that Future Forest Company actually does? And how do you get down to being very nicely at the lower end of the spectrum here of cost on, on sequestering a ton of CO2? Yeah, so so we do we do three things. Um, one is we, we we plant trees, which will draw down CO two. We we plant them in places where where the trees are going to be there for a long time, and and we do that because it's, it does two things. One is it draws down some CO two, um, slowly, and not necessarily that scalably, um, but it also enhances biodiversity, which is really important. Secondly, we produce biochar, which is a way of um, forming a, a permanent carbon from carbon that would otherwise be released rapidly. So this can be made from things like agricultural waste or forestry waste. And thirdly, the, the bit that we see as most scalable and most permanent and, and that we're working with Stripe on is um, enhanced weathering. And I, I'll, I'll try not to go too, too deep onto the science, but I'll give a very quick science lesson if that's okay, um, which is... Basically, what's happening is as water falls through the atmosphere, it absorbs CO2. It forms a weak carbonic acid, which will react with certain types of rock. And this is a natural process. It removes 10 to 100 million metric tons of CO2 from our atmosphere every year, just just nature doing its its thing. What we do is we take the right type of rock, we grind it up into a fine powder, which increases its surface area, 
and that accelerates the whole process. So we, we call this an enhanced rock weathering, and, and basically it's taking that natural cycle and speeding it up dramatically. And it, it's very scalable, um, it's available technology, and therefore we hope can start to have an impact on that 25 gigaton problem that you've got with CO2 um, fairly quickly. So um, th this to me is really interesting because it's basically it's it's kind of using what nature's doing in any case as opposed to going and trying and you know inventing new physics to to make it happen. But whether rubber meets the road on uh, enhanced we uh, weathering, what what actually is it? What do you what do you specifically do? Without giving away your secret sauce, obviously, but. <laughs> We basically um, take rock, we grind it up into a fine powder, and we spread it on the ground. And, and once that's on the ground, we're waiting for, for rain containing the CO2 to, to, fall through the app, to fall onto that rock, react with that rock, and then there's a chemical reaction that occurs. And that locks up the CO2 either in the water system down in the ocean, so it takes carbonates down to the oceans where they will stay, or it leaves those carbonates in the soil. But, but that carbon dioxide that's in the carbonates is now locked up for between 100,000 and, and a million years. So in human terms, this is absolutely permanent. This is gone. It's not like a forest which someone can come along with a, a chainsaw and take down fairly quickly. It, it's something where the carbon is, it, is absolutely permanently locked up. Yeah, so so on the on the weathering weathering stuff, if people are maybe skeptical as to whether or not this this can work, I think there's there's a whole bunch of science out there that this is literally how Mars lost the majority of its atmosphere, which is that you know every single day rocks are absorbing gases out of out of the atmosphere, and if you don't have uh, the commensurate um, sort of magma and volcanic action to put that back into the atmosphere over over geologic periods, literally an entire planet can lose its atmosphere this way. So so clearly it does work. Really, the the question is how big of a scale can we as humans do it on yeah that's right um, it's it's there's a couple of questions so one is how much energy does it take to to grind up the rock and to go through the whole process so what what is the net benefit because that's that's one of your your, your difficulties um, and the other side of it is what sort of scale can we get this to realistically and potentially two-thirds of the earth's surface could be used for this and and that's one of the benefits of enhanced weathering is it can be co-deployed alongside other activities. We don't need land locked up and, and out of use for things. It can go alongside agriculture if you use the right type of rock on the right type of land. Yep. And, okay, so this has, has a path to getting that cost down. Why is it that you end up doing three things here as, as opposed to just focusing on one thing? Because there, there's some benefits from co-deploying them. So in the case of uh, reforestation, you, you benefit from the fertilizer, which is, the, which is released from the enhanced weathering. So when rock breaks down, it, it doesn't just store carbon dioxide. It also releases cations. It releases um, elements that we would think of as fertilizer and causes plants to grow quicker. The, the biochar is a, is a method for locking up um, carbon, but also stores nutrients and um, helps store water. So you are... Um, enhancing the soil and the soil biology is really important in the weathering because there's some very strong evidence that um, the microbes and more importantly potentially again fungi will accelerate the process so where you've got trees growing and weathering occurring at the same time weathering rates are seen to be far faster than where you've just got 
chemical weathering. So you can think about it, I guess, as a as a chemical process that is accelerated by biology. Yeah, got it. So you're, you're effectively building a bit of a virtuous cycle and almost an, an ecosystem here of complementary ways of doing it. Um, so it's, you know, the sum of the parts is, is greater than the whole. Well, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts, yep. Yeah, that's right. And and also we're tackling that biodiversity issue, which um, is, is going to be really important as well. Biodiversity is often uh, the forgotten the forgotten side of um, climate change, um, but climate change is causing a huge uh, sixth extinction, it's often referred to as, and um, this is potentially a big problem for for the balance uh, of the planet, um, which we rely upon. So we need to tackle that as well. The two fit really well together. Yeah, and actually this, this is something that I hear a lot from people who are pushing back um, on... Uh, sort of forestry as one of the solutions to climate change. And, and I think that's probably close to home for you. And in Northern Scotland in, um, I think it was the late 80s and early 90s, there was a massive reforestation project that was run by the UK government um, that turned out to just be a massive failure. And I think the failure here was that they were draining bogs and wetlands and trying to plant trees. And it turns out that they just like completely messed up the environment and probably released a whole bunch of methane um, and did far more damage than uh, than they otherwise uh, should have, right? So um, one of the the biggest pushbacks I hear to forestry as a as a way of sequestering carbon really is uh, how do you know that you're not actually making that same sort of mistake again, and and you're not messing up the local environment? Yeah, and and, and that's the difference between taking land that um, is being afforested, so land that that wouldn't historically have had forest on it, and putting trees on it versus reforesting land, land that's been cleared for, say, agriculture and returning it to a forested state. So there's a key distinction there. There's also issues around how much carbon is released. It's often not as positive as forestry schemes have claimed historically. And then there's a species element. So the fastest growing trees are often things like we have a lot of genetically modified Sitka spruce in Scotland which is a, a, a forestry crop and is a tim- timber crop. And that has a real value in reducing carbon, not just because of the carbon it absorbs, but because it can be used in building materials and displaces other materials potentially, which have a, high, a far higher carbon footprint. So if you can use more wood and less concrete, then there's a benefit to that. But all of these are, are compl- complex issues. There's no simple solutions, especially when you start talking about land use, because land's in, in short supply. And we also rely on land for our food production. So forestry crosses over to food production, crosses over to um, biodiversity, net loss or gain, depending on how it's managed. Yep, absolutely. And maybe let me just tie, tie it back to why in the world do I have someone who's growing trees on a on a podcast for the real estate industry is that um, you know, we as, as the real estate industry, even if we go and implement every single piece of the best technology in our buildings today and, and um, build them with the best material science today, uh, roughly we'll still have about 50% of the carbon problem in our buildings. So clearly, we as an industry need to go and buy a whole bunch of carbon sequestration uh, from people like the Future Forest Company um, in order to uh, take care of the other half of our problem, at least in the short term, right, whilst we figure out how to do it uh, do it ourselves long term. Um, 
But I think there's also sort of a, a growing ecosystem here. How should our um, real estate uh, folks think about actually going and buying carbon sequestration? So Stripe, for example, who's outsourcing, uh, sorry, who's open sourcing all of this information is going directly to the people like you who are who are uh, providing the service. But then there are also marketplaces. Um, and uh, as we said, there's a relatively mature area of offsets where the prices are all the way down to sort of 10 bucks. Um, but clearly those aren't sort of real carbon sequestration. If put yourself in the shoes of someone in say the sustainability office at a, at a big real estate firm who basically needs to figure out how to go and buy this stuff and high quality stuff, what do you think they should actually be doing? So it's, it's difficult because at the moment, um, and I think this will go on for years, the, the situation is that um, demand is outstripping supply for high-end offsets, for, for genuine good quality offsets. And, and that forces people to, to often buy cheap offsets which, which aren't credible and, and, and that they shouldn't really be buying. They're not, they're not helping and they're not actually removing CO2. It's a junk bond, if, if you like. Um, so really understanding for people to really understand what they're buying, then they need to do some research and they need to dig deep. Organizations like Stripe, because they publish everything, means that, that you can benchmark against what they're doing and you can see how they're, how they're making those measures. Um, I, I, I think Stripe are, are at the extreme. They're looking for the really high quality offsets and, and they've publicly said they'll pay whatever price. Um, what, we, what we need is to, to find the, the in-between ground where we can get really high quality product that is actual carbon removal, but where it's not going to cost so much. And, and part of that comes from early investment. So, so I would be saying to these organizations, to any organization that's trying to reduce its far carbon footprint, do some research and avoid the junk bonds and then invest in a mixture beyond that. Invest in some very expensive technology that you think might come through ultimately to, to reduce the cost and actually solve the problem. And make sure you've also offset into schemes that, that, that are credible, but um, perhaps don't have the permanence we'd really like today, but do give a channel to, to removing CO2 from the atmosphere. So some of the reforestry um, projects are really quite, quite credible. They're in good locations. They're, they're good tree planting schemes. They're, they're tackling biodiversity. The permanence isn't great. It never will be with trees. You're talking 100 years. And... You re we really need to be removing CO2 from the cycle into geological formations. Um, and that's expensive at the moment, but supporting that means it'll scale. Yep. And then maybe just, just one final question here, which is ultimately these, uh, these businesses shouldn't be charities, right? You should actually be able to uh, make money in a, in a reasonable, viable economic model. And I think uh, where there's probably also some overlap with our listeners here is you essentially are turning into a very, very large land development company um, and something where you might want to uh, go and partner with people because ultimately to really do this at scale, you need to go and develop millions of acres of, of land, right? Um, so on the economic side of this, is this something where uh, large investors like the people listening here um, would look at these sorts of projects and say, okay, actually, there is a, a good economic payback model here. Um, we can get debt on these sorts of things and therefore might be something they'd want to partner with you on? 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're starting to, to look at that. So we, we do raise debt funding for purchasing land um, and we pay it down over a period of time where companies are looking for carbon alongside that. We can make carbon available to them as part of that, that agreement. Um, so, yes, debt's something we're very much focused on. And we're at a stage now where we're looking for, for hundreds of millions of dollars to, to expand what we're doing um, to real scale. So, yes, very open to those conversations. Absolutely. So I think the, the message here is if you as a, as a company are looking to buy carbon sequestration or buy some offsets, uh, do your homework. Don't buy the junk bonds. Um, take a look at, at some of Stripe's research reports around all of the people that they're buying from. Uh, 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 sort of bearing the lead here, but Future Forest Company is one of those companies uh, on that list. Um, and then separately, if uh, instead of just buying some carbon sequestration, you, you see this as more of a large business opportunity and you're looking to partner with someone on uh, developing millions of acres of land, um, I think you should also look into partnering with the Future Forest Company. So, uh, Jim, where can people find you and get in contact and learn more? Um, yeah, with thefutureforestcompany.com. And... Um, you can, you can drop us an email through there or you'll find us on all major, major social networks. Fantastic. No, thanks very much for taking the time today. It was great to chat. Brilliant. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening to Fifth Wall's Tactical Tool Belt Climate Tech Podcast. For more on Fifth Wall and our efforts in climate tech, visit our website at fifthwall.com. <laughs>